And I'm feeling a little bit of insecurity up here because uh, I wasn't there on moving day. In case you didn't know, I wasn't at Cabin Coffee sipping lattes while you were carrying in boxes. Yeah, yeah, see, I knew someone thought that. No, 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 I was actually doing a funeral for, I, this is one of those funerals I just had to do. So uh, anyway, so thank you for lifting boxes while I was absent. Um, so amen. Uh, and the next time we move, it's when Jesus yanks my collar into heaven. So, <laughs> so anyway, um, go ahead and turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. That's what we're going to be working on today. I, uh, this is the second to the last sermon, I think, in the series. There's a summary sermon that I think Dustin's going to do in a few weeks uh, or a couple weeks. Um, but uh, So I'll do my best to uh, do the second half of Philippians but before we get into that, I got some, there's some fabulous news that came through Apple News this week. I'm serious. Okay, so this week on Apple News, I've been wishing and hoping and praying that, and you, you can, my wife would verify this, that the mullet would make a comeback. Now, I couldn't find a really good picture of my mullet. This, this, that was my worst mullet. But let it be known that if they would have had a contest back in those days, I would have took the silver medal right behind David Spade. He would have got the gold, and gold medal. But anyway, so that's a few years ago anyway. Uh, and that's Stevie right there, our firstborn. So I thought, I'd, I thought that was pretty cool. So anyway, so I thought this was a sign from God. The mullet's making a comeback. What do you think? I, I know, I know Tim Bernicki's with me, man. I bet you, I bet you he had a sporting mullet when he was a kid. <laughs> anyway, you, you're, you're hoping I'm kidding about that, but uh, I'm, actually, I'm actually not. <laughs> but, but my wife said, you are not growing a mullet. You never should have said that. <laughs> All right, let's pray together because we're not here to talk about mullets. Father, thank you for this time. Help me to do the best job I can bragging and boasting about who you are so we can be at peace and secure and content even in the most troubling circumstances. We love you, God, for all that you do for us. It's through your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, so we all have insecurities. We all do. Yeah. Uh, I used to think I didn't have any, <laughs> and then God humbled me. Uh, we all have insecurities. We all have trust issues. We all do. Some more than others because of the, what happened to them in their lives, right? Their history, all their hurts and pain and struggle. And so they have major trust issues. The people that should have been there and trustworthy weren't. And so, so when they try to trust God, it's like near impossible. It's not impossible, but it's near impossible. We all have trust issues. And so today, the title of today's sermon, oh good, I'm glad you took that picture away. It would have been distracting. Uh, the title of today's sermon is Stories That Create Security. Because what we see in the book of Philippians, indeed all over the Bible, are stories that can and should create securities within us, and therefore contentment and peace. And joy that, like Joel talked about last week, uh, that, that just doesn't even make sense. 
And that's where we find in the story between Paul and the Philippians is, is this, this relationship where they created peace for each other. They helped, God worked through the Philippians. God worked through Paul. And but in this fellowship, this partnership, peace was created. That's how God does it. That's why you, no one will ever find peace away from God. We know that. But no one will ever find peace away from the family of God either because that's how God works. When I am lacking something, somebody has something that can help me with. And God usually works through people. Sometimes it's just direct. And, and sometimes you're lacking something. And I have something that will help you. So it's really important to understand that. That's one of the re- reasons why God created the family of God. Amen. So we can help each other find contentment in God together. I have three, um, hopefully, brief points. Stories of the faithful, which will include Paul. That's the first point. And then two, I'm going to tell you a little bit my my story. Okay? And then number three, we're going to talk about King Jesus' story to wrap things up. And these stories hopefully will create peace within us. Go ahead in Philippians chapter chapter 4. I'm going to read my section of the book of Philippians. And I'm reading out of the... Christian Standard Bible today, I switch a lot, so I like how things are said in this passage. Uh, Philippians chapter 4, verse 10, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly because once again, once again, you renewed your care for me. You were, in fact, concerned about me, but I lacked, but lacked the opportunity to show it. I don't say this out of need. Okay, Paul is sitting in sewage. He's in prison. He might be on death row. He's not even sure about that or not. He says that in Philippians chapter 1. He goes, I don't have any needs. By the way, you care for me, and he's going to share in a minute how they they sent him some stuff, but, you know, I'm I'm not really in need right now. So convicting. I walk into our apartment, you know, or we we sign for our apartment. Are we going to be able to make it in a one-bedroom? I'm going to have to move my church, I mean my office, to the church. Oh, what a struggle. (laughs) Holy smokers. I'm not in need, uh, okay? I mean, that is like, is the guy got brain damage, or does he know something about Jesus that we don't know? Does he have trust in Jesus that I've never even tasted yet? I think that's probably the answer. I don't say this out of need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. I know both how to make do with a little, and I know how to make do with a lot. Paul was really wealthy. Probably before he was a Christian, he was super wealthy, because Pharisees were usually wealthy, and he was like one of the top Pharisees. Okay? He gave that all up for Jesus. All right? Where was I? Verse... uh, in, in, in any, um, I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need, I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. I am able to be this way because of him. Still, you did well by partner, partnering with me in my hardship. 
And you Philippians know that in the early days of the gospel when I left Macedonia, no church, here's the story, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you alone. God worked through you guys so much, and that's one of the reasons why I'm so content now, because God always came through. Sometimes it was through you. Sometimes, again, God just gave me strength or whatever, but now I'm in this place of contentment. I don't like where I'm at. I would like to get out of this sewage. But you know what? I know God's going to take care of me because he always has. Whew, amazing. For even, when I, for even in Thessalonica, you sent me gifts for my needs several times. One translation said again and again. Not that I seek a gift, but I seek the profit that is increasing in your spiritual account. He's not concerned about getting gifts from people, the church. He's going, what he's, what he's happy about is, wow, you guys, God is installing all this in your heavenly account. I can't wait to see your reward on the day of when Jesus comes back. Okay, But I have received everything in full, and I have an abundance. So he's in prison, on death row maybe, sitting in sewage, and he goes, wow, I, I, I've got a lot of stuff. Uh, what did they send, by the way? Stale bread? Moldy cheese? I doubt they wheeled in a big refrigerator full of steak and stuff you know it's like he has an abundance in fact they gave him this moldy cheese and stale bread and he probably shared it with the scoundrels that he was in prison with or they took it from him I'm fully supplied having received from Epaphroditus what you provided, a fragrant offering and an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. You guys are so pleasing to God. That's what he's most concerned about. Verse 19, and because of that, my God will supply all your needs just like he does me, according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I could just shut it down right now, right? But I'm not. Because I said, we got three points. Paul is faithful. The Philippians are faithful. And through their faithfulness, their giving, their sacrifice, their love, their partnership, God comes through and, and creates this, this faith and this trust that's amazing. It's, it's surpassing. It doesn't make sense. You know, Paul's story dominates the New Testament. The only story that dominates it more is Jesus himself. The reason is, is because Paul is an amazing example of what the power of the gospel can do. He, he's, he's a picture of the faithfulness of God. Okay? Um, and it reveals how someone with massive trust issues can become full of amazing trust. Because where did Paul start in Acts chapter 9? He didn't just have trust issues. He was an atheist. 
I mean, when it comes to Jesus, he believed in God, but he was, when it came to Jesus, he was an atheist. He didn't believe in Jesus at all. He had the wrong picture of the Messiah, and he thought Jesus was the worst picture of a Messiah there could ever be. And so he hated Jesus. When on the Passover, Jesus was crucified, Paul threw a party. Finally, we get rid of that. Terrible person. I know that happened. That's why he, he was obsessed with destroying the church, is because he hated Jesus. Jesus was Beelzebub. Jesus was from Satan. So Paul was way over here. He wasn't just an atheist. He was a vehement atheist. Trust issues? Zero trust. But now you read Philippians and Paul's way over here. So if Paul can be transformed, guess what? So can Steve. So can you. The one thing, you want to start arguing with me? Tell me you can't change. We'll get into an argument. I'll be nice and I'll be kind, but I will argue with you until you submit. Okay? Seriously. Paul can change. If Steve can change, everybody can change, no matter how far you are over here. No matter how dysfunctional, messed up your upbringing was, no matter how you were treated, you can change. No question about it. Okay? That's why his story dominates the New Testament. But there's stories like this all over the Bible. I mean, you could, you could think about... You know, Rahab the prostitute. She trusted God because she heard a story. She didn't, she didn't know where it came from. She heard a story that God released this bunch of people through the sea and destroyed the most powerful uh, army on the earth, and she believed it. It was hearsay. And God brought her safety. Now, I'm sure Joshua or somebody sat down, okay, you got to change professions, all right? You want to, you know, quit your night job, start making baskets or something, but thank you for your faithfulness. <laughs> what about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Oh, my gosh. Where did they find Jesus? When the furnace was at its hottest. This is what I did for years, and I bet some of you have too, where it gets really hot, really fiery, really uncomfortable. That's probably the wrong word. And, and you go, you back away, and you take a vacation for being a Christian or something. That's the worst time. Man, dive deeper into the family of God. Dive deeper into God. Dive deeper into the Psalms. That's what they're there for. They show us how to not give up when it's really tough. And can you imagine how much faith they had after they came out of the fire? I bet you every time they went by a campfire, they probably, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and just jump on in there. <laughs> no, you might not want to do that. Don't test the Lord. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Oh, King David learned to trust not in the castle, but in the cave. He was homeless for 10 or 12 years after God said, I'm going to make you king. David's like, all right, and then boom, 10, 12 years, he's running for his life. Oh, I guess God changed his mind. I'm sure he thought that. 
What about in Acts chapter 12? You see um, uh, Herod arrests uh, John, uh, James, brother of John, and has him killed. And then the, 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 the Jews were so happy about that that, that they arrested Peter. And uh, Herod arrested Peter, intending to do the same thing. But then an angel came in and released Peter in the night, very miraculously. Read the story. There's some funny, there's some comedy in it, actually. But, but he releases that. Now, 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 let's go up to Peter's wife and James's wife. I bet we have two different feelings about that. Peter's wife's like, oh, thank you. James is like, wife. What's up? James is actually a better Christian than Peter. <laughs> See, this is where we struggle sometimes. And this is what the book of 1 Peter is about. When we suffer and it's unfair. It's not just, the hardest kind of suffering is when it's unfair. That was unfair, says James's wife. That was unfair. In the church, the early church, so many unfair things happened. You can go to the book of Hebrews, and, and these are, they're all heroes of the faith. Some of these heroes escaped the edge of the sword. A few sentences later, others died by the edge of the sword. That's not fair. Some of them conquered kingdoms. Some of them were sought in two, probably Isaiah. That's not fair. And that creates trust issues in us. A lot of people, all, all, many of us in here and have had undergone things that, that's just, just so not fair. That's tough. I'm not preaching at you. I'm just like, I hear stories and I go, oh my gosh, that's so not fair. And we'll study the book of 1 Peter, written by a guy when Jesus said, he reinstated him in John 21, and he said, let me tell you how you're going to die, Peter. You're going to be crucified just like me. He told him straight up. And what did Peter do? What about him? Because that's not fair. I'm sure that's how he said, that's not fair. <laughs> I'm sure that's how he said it, too. What's that to you? I mean... Anyway, we'll talk more about that stuff. Let me dive into my story a little bit, okay? How, how, I, I didn't check the time, and I, I'm sorry. I usually do. No, don't say that. When I, when I start getting hungry, I'll stop. Now, I ate a huge breakfast right before we started church, so no, I'm just kidding. All right, my story. And, and I'm not talking and bragging about me. I'm boasting and bragging about God here, Okay? Anything good that's happened in my life, it's because of God and Kelly. Uh, before I was 18 years old, I was in five car wrecks because I was crazy. And my brother built me a 68 Mustang that had this monster engine in it. It was beautiful. Oh, my gosh. And then my girlfriend, this is one of those accidents, she, uh, she, we, she, she was driving messed up, and we went rolling in a ditch. 
All I had was a cut on my head. That's it. Should have been dead. I've been in two motorcycle accidents because I was born with a leather jacket on. And, and, and one of them, my, my motorcycle was totaled. All I got was a bruise on my knee. That's it. How'd that happen? The only time my Kawasaki didn't start is it was so reliable. That's why I bought it. The only time Connie, that was her name, Connie oh. didn't start was, was, was uh, a few summer nights ago. I mean, like six, seven years ago in Minneapolis. And I went to start it up. It was a beautiful night. It was motorcycle heaven. She wouldn't start. And I'm like, I was really miffed at Connie. I'm driving in my green CRV, like, oh, you know, talk about being discontent. <laughs> it wasn't that bad. I'm exaggerating. But guess what happened that night? I got rear-ended in a, like a 20-car 20 20 pileup on 35W. I would have been dead. It was so bad, there were two cars behind us where the, myself and another guy had to pull a woman out of the car who was on fire. The engine was on fire. I'm not exaggerating there. She wouldn't get out. My dad's, my dad's going to kill me. You're going to die before you even see your dad if you don't get out of the car. <laughs> we pulled her out of the car. I'd have been dead or severe. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, Connie. I was so mad at you. One long time ago, uh, when, when ministers were not, I mean, we were making like $20,000 between the two of us. No insurance, no nothing, no nothing, just that's it. And we were home at Christmas at my mom's house, which is a tiny, well, it's a trailer. And she's not wealthy. And we were literally counting pennies like, I hope we can make it home. I hope we have enough gas money to make it home to St. Louis. Well, we're at Christmas, and my mom just hands out cards to all of us, six kids and our spouses. And, uh, and, thousand dollar check. Some kind of insurance thing. God came through. And this is out of order. You know, when Stevie was born, about six or seven hours after she was born, she stopped breathing in the, in the nursery. And it was, it was lucky. See that face? It was lucky that one of the two nurses that were watching 38 babies actually saw her blue as can be. That was God. Can't imagine life without my daughter, Stevie. Holy smokers. There were people in my life all through the years I had little conversations with that radically turned me around. Roger Lamb, I had a conversation with him. I was in the pits. I was in the dungeon spiritually. And it was just a little conversation that turned me around. One time I thought, I can't do this. I'm done. I'm not able to be a minister and I went to the Rocky Mountain retreat and I ran into Frank, Frank Kim I didn't even know him that well and and I, t I said he said how you doing and I said I'm just gonna be honest I'm in the pit I'm, I want to get out of the ministry I, I have no reason to be in the ministry he looked at me and it wasn't what he said it's how he said he goes 
You were made for the ministry. Look, I still get goosebumps. That turned me around. That's it. And then we got distracted because there was hundreds of people around us. One time when I, I messed up really bad in my purity, a long time ago, 97 or something like that, hurt my wife. I wasn't with another person, but. And I confessed it to my wife. I confessed it to all my brothers. And Reese Nealon said, bro, when I think of you, I don't think of that. I think of, and he went in this long list of stuff, good stuff. I may have given up if he didn't remind me of the good stuff. Confession's a good thing. Keeping your conscience clear is one of the necessary things we've got to have to have peace. I could go on. I could talk about Peter Smith, Devin Cook, my new doctor that is provided by God, finally getting some physical healing. Joel Pede, you know, he kind of told the story. And I, I thought you were mentoring me. I didn't know. It was, <laughs> I was like, wow, I was desperate. We all have, now your story may not be as long. I've been a Christian for almost 44 years. But, but you have a story too. And I thought and thought and prayed, God, and I started thinking of all this stuff and more, how God has come through right in the nick of time so many times. Okay, Jesus' story. Now, Dustin, I think, is going to come and do a summary on this, the book of Philippians, so I'm not going to steal any of his thunder. I'm going to guess, I'm not trying to give you a silent message here, but I'm going to guess he's going to talk about Philippians chapter 2, 6 through 11, which is, I think, the dead center of the book of Philippians. Okay? Everything revolves around that. It's the story of Jesus equal to his father in every way, co-creator of the universe, saying, remaining equal to God, but saying, I'm not going to take advantage of that. I'm not going to use that equality. I'm going to be, I'm, I'm going to be uh, this magnanimous second person of the, of the Trinity is going to be miniaturized all the way down to a wee tiny little person on this speck in the universe called Earth. And he's going to die for his enemies. And therefore God exalted him. And we see the same thing happening in Paul's life. And so I'm tempted to go to that passage, but I'll let Dustin do that. But we will go to a similar passage and close things out and get ready for communion. Romans chapter 8. Okay? Does that sound good? Romans chapter 8. And this might be a little preview of, uh, I think we're going to study the book of Romans pretty soon. So, so this would be like a little preview. If, if one of these guys, one of the men in black came up to me with that an amnesia ray gun thing. Did you see the movie? Remember? They had it. Oh, no, I don't know anything. <laughs> you know? If they came up and said, listen, you can remember one Bible verse. But the rest of the Bible verses, and you don't get a Bible anymore. You, no Bible on your phone. No now, this is a Bible, my friends. But anyway, this is my pocket Bible. Um, 
But anyway, so you can't have a Bible, but you can have one verse. Two verses. There's actually two verses. That's it. All the other ones, we're going to zap you, and you're going to forget every one of them. I would pick this verse. Because this verse makes me so secure, no matter what's happening. It removes my trust issues. I have to go to it a lot. I read it in different versions of the Bible. I pray through it. One of the best things you can do, pray through Scripture. Chapter 8, verse 31. What then are we to say about these things? Everything he said so far in the book of Romans, which we'll study that out later, so get ready for that. What, how do we respond to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Well, lots of people are against us. We have persecutors, we have people that hate us. Ephesians 6 says forces of dark, forces of evil in the heavenly realms are against us. He's not saying nobody's against you. He's saying it doesn't matter who's against you. It just doesn't matter. You know why? Because the creator God of the universe did this. If God is for us, who can be against us? He did not even spare his own perfect, ever-pleasing son. I added that. But that's what it, it's true. He did not spare his own son, but offered him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything, every blessing, every promise in the Bible? That's what he's talking about. The other verse that would be second would be Isaiah 53, verse 10, because it talks about the same thing. And it says it was God's dream or God's desire or God's idea, God's deliberate plan to cause his son to suffer or be crucified. That's what it talks about. Philippians chapter 2. He says it was the father's idea. Okay, how can I save these people that I love so dearly? There's only one way. And him and his son and the Holy Spirit had a conference. This is even before the world was created. And Jesus said, of course I'll do that. Holy Spirit said, I'll strengthen you, my friend, my brother. I'll be with you too, the Father says. And then he enacted it. The first time it's talked about is in Genesis chapter 3. God had plenty of time to change his mind about dying for you and me, especially when he already knew how up and down and all over the place we would be, not only before we were Christians, but after. Yet he goes, of course I'm going to. And that's why it says in Ephesians, another prison epistle, you can't measure the height, width, depth, and length of God's love. What's changed me more than anything else and brought me more peace than anything else is thinking deeply about what God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit did with this whole crucifixion thing. Philippians chapter 2. That's what will bring us peace. I have a little assignment for you, okay, if I can find it. Okay, must have left him downstairs in my new messy office. (laughs) So here's the assignment. I want you to take time 
to meditate on Romans 8, Philippians 2, especially that passage. And I want you to I want you to remember also take time to meditate about your own story. Go back and think. Sometimes we think, oh, that was just a coincidence. You almost got in a crash. I think angels were protecting you or whatever. Go through your story. Don't just do it for five minutes. Think about it every day and add to it. It'll change your faith. It'll bring you peace. Okay, that's your assignment. Okay. Um, You know, the point of all this, we can be secure because... Because of Jesus' story. And then if you look at your story, you can see, yeah, God come through. You look at Paul's story or the story of the faithful. You see a faithful God. And so we can be secure. We can, we can go, we can grow and be transformed like Paul went from there to there. And we can do the same thing yeah. by the power of the Holy Spirit. Because God gives us everything. We're going to be treated to a song. I've been nagging my daughter for years to sing this song. And it's a Lauren Daigle song. And I think she sings it better than Lauren Daigle. <laughs> and so I've told her that. She goes, oh, shut up, Dad. <laughs> so, but it's, it's, it, it's perfect because it's all about God giving us everything we need, and of course, especially in Jesus, and then we can have communion after that. Amen.